everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That is true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing, the craft of writing, the writing life, as well as, of course, some video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres like Connor Habib, last week's guest on the show. I also have nice version of that conversation up on Author Magazine. You can go check all that out at authormagazine.org. We're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. We're doing it again with a great conference coming up at the end of September. I'll be there. All kinds of people will be there. It'll be a lot of fun. We're going to, we're, it's just going to be a lot of fun talking to people about writing and meeting agents and pitching and learning. And anyway, go check it out. Uh, learn more about that conference, which I think there's still room, I think, uh, and just the PNWA in general at pnwa.org. Speaking of teaching, I will be at the PNWA. I will also be, if you're going to be going to the Alaska Writers Conference, Alaska Writers Guild Conference, I think it's up in Anchorage, I'll be there the week later. Uh, if you're going to be at the Permian Basin Writers conference down there in Texas. I'm going to be there. And also, if you're going to be at the Writer's Digest Novel Writing Conference down in Pasadena, I'm going to be there as well. So I hope I get to see you at one of those places. Finally, back in person. It's been a while, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Okay. Hey, what a great guest. Andrea Barrett. Man, this woman, yes, yeah, she won the National Book Award. Uh, sort of coming out of obscurity to do so a bunch of years ago, and she's had a great career, but we had a fabulous conversation. What a humble woman, what a, a sweet woman, and we talked about her life, her, her interest in science, her leaving science and pursuing fiction. It was just a really surprise. I mean, look, I knew it was going to be interesting, but we just took some turns I didn't expect, and I love it when that happens. And I love that I get to share it with you. A, Andrea, by the way, Andrea Barrett, is the author of nine previous works of fiction. Actually, her tenth just came out. Um, and uh, anyway, including the National Book Award winning Ship Fever and Pulitzer Prize finalist Servant Map. She is a recipient of a MacArthur Fellowship, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and an NEA Fellowship, as well as a finalist for the Story Prize and a recipient of the RIA Award for Short Fiction, Short Stories. Yeah, like I said, great conversation. And I'm glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. All right. Look who it is. It's Andrea Barrett. Andrea, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Let's see. For our viewers, you got a book coming out. I there do. There it is. Oof. Natural history. Natural history. This is, I didn't count. What, what book number are we on? Uh, I'm afraid it's 10. <laughs> You're afraid it's 10. Should it be more or less? It should be <laughs> less. It's too many books. Too many so, books. Oh. Yeah. Well, you got a late start by writing terms in terms of when you actually decide to start. As I, as I, my shadowy memory of your biography, you didn't like start getting sort of serious about it till your thirties. Is that, could that be true? It is true. Uh, I had intended to be a biologist and failed miserably at that and dropped out of graduate school, went back and did medieval history for a little while, dropped oh, out of that, wow. worked at a bunch of jobs. I was just drifting for a long time. Wow. Yeah. All right. So because usually, you know, with writers, 
uh, usually age nine, they kind of say, this is what I want to do. I know. Not always. They, you know, there's plenty of exceptions. But yeah. that wasn't you. You weren't a little girl scribbling your stories in her notebook or anything? You know, I, I did scribble things, but I grew up in a little town on Cape Cod and and I quite literally didn't know that a writer was a thing a person could be. I never yeah. met one. I never yeah. saw one, but I, I had a really good biology teacher. So it's like, oh, <laughs> I, you know, and Woods Hole was nearby. Maybe I could be a biologist. It just right. it just didn't cross my mind till I was much older. Were your parents into the sciences? Nope. And they don't they weren't readers either. So. Oh, oh, interesting. So you really just just followed what was, although of course, you know, given you the, the the nature of the stuff you write about, your interest in biology wasn't so crazy, wasn't so far afield. It's not, you know, on Cape Cod, the ocean's always there, even if you don't live on it. And, yeah. um, you know, the birds and the seagrasses and the water and everything, it's Im- kind of impossible not to be really curious about the world around you. So I, in that sense, I think I came by it naturally. You know what? I grew up in Providence. Oh. And I spent, I just was back there and I'd yeah. go down to the ocean and I was completely incurious about the world around me in that, <laughs> in that way. So it is possible. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it is possible. That's uh, great. I love that. Um, so, all right. So you, you say, okay, I'm going to go be a biologist, right? Yeah. I go to college and, uh, but you failed miserably. How does one fail miserably as a biologist? Well, uh, in my case, I I went to Union College, which is in Schenectady. It's a school that's great for sciences. And Mm -hmm. I did fine in college, but I did manage to get out without understanding at all that um, I wasn't doing science. I was reading about science and reading about the people who are doing science. And I didn't get that that's what I love. So I went off to graduate school in zoology thinking, oh, this is fabulous. I'm going to be a marine biologist or maybe in ethologist or something but um I wasn't in for one semester before I realized how little scientific mind I had and and how aghast I was really at what science actually is I'm really bad at it and I really don't like it I like watching people do it Um, to me that is not failure that is the exact opposite of failure you succeeded wildly (laughs) in recognizing who you were or at least part of part of who you were which is like I don't want to do that yeah, you know, I guess that's what growing up is for everybody. Yeah, it took me a yeah. really long time to figure out what I wanted to do, but I was really good at understanding what I didn't want to do. I kept oh. trying things and trying. Yeah, that's and good. Like, nope, that's not me. <laughs> nope, that's not it either. See, that actually, that moment, I got to say, as you describe it, I laughed about it, but that must have been a profound moment because as you describe it, you had in your early, young life had a vision of yourself. And that vision was a biologist. And then to have it to to then suddenly realize, oh, right. no, that's not who I am. That's that's kind of like, what am I? What's reality? Where I would think that would be quite unnerving in a way. It was really upsetting. And um, and I was young when I went to graduate school. I was 19 when I started. What? I, Wait, what? Yeah, oh, you I little know. prodigy. What were you doing graduating from college at 18 or something? No, I was 19 when I got out. Um, yeah, but- I, you know, I was just in a hurry. I, okay. I don't know what right. that was all about. But okay. yeah, it was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not a scientist. And then I worked at all kinds of different jobs. I, I worked for the phone company. I worked teaching GREs. I worked yeah. at a paper box company for a while. Yeah. I thought, yeah. oh, I want to be a tool and die cutter. It's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I just kept trying stuff and, and yeah. nothing really. Nothing took it. So, you know, if you don't have a picture of who you're supposed to be, how do we know that the thing we're doing is not it? I can't answer that, but I uh -huh. always knew it's like, no. Um, wow. Hey, but you know, yeah. that's critical because on some of us, I always, one of the thing about writing is you got to know, you got to be able to say yes and no to a sentence. Yes and no to a story. Right? You got to be able to say, no, that's not it. And, it's, and being able to knowing something isn't it, I think is really important. Actually. Yeah. Don't, I mean, as you discover what you think a story is. You know, I have friends who write um, with a clear vision in their mind and they, mm -hmm. they sort of have everything outlined and laid out and then they yeah. write toward that. Yeah. And, you know, God bless them, but right. I don't, I'd have no idea where I'm going, but I do have a really profound sense of not there and no right. and wrong sentence and wrong tone right. and wrong sound. So right. in a weird way, uh, all that naysaying is what guides me. I, I, some part of me must know where I'm going, but I'm not conscious of that part of me. So I just keep saying, no, no, no. Ah, <laughs> but you, res you respect the boundaries. I, I, I coach people a lot. I've come to the term inner artist a lot lately, that your inner artist, we call your muse, whatever, is, yeah. is keeping you in there. That's good. Tell me what inner artist is. I don't, I don't know. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sense of there's a part of you that knows better than you do. The, yeah, the no. part of your inner, you can call it your muse. Some people call it source energy. There's a lot of words, spiritual yeah. words for it, but a sense of something that you're listening to that is guiding you that also doesn't care about how much money you make or how yeah. many people pay attention to you, just wants to tell the story, do the work. And that's exactly what I feel like. I don't use those words for it, but yeah. I just, I don't, I've never known what to call it, but I do yeah. believe really profoundly in that. And, and when I go awry, I'm not listening to that. Yeah. And when I go someplace, okay, it's because I just, I kind of put my head down and I don't look up at all those other distractions. And I just try to listen to that inner thing. It, it is so much smarter than my conscious. Wait, self totally, totally. And yeah. you see, it's tricky. I would think having that profound connection to that would also make science hard. Cause I think you can have an intuitive emotional relationship to science, but I think it's a lot of people drawn to it because they don't have to be intuitive and emotional, that there's a kind of clear external, I mean, I'm not saying they're all that way, but I think there is a, an appeal yeah. that this science has for people in that way. Yeah. Well, I, I think you have to have both elements. I mean, uh, a mediocre scientist only needs the latter element, but a good right. scientist needs the inner artist, as you call it, just as much as a writer does. A great scientist always right. has that but, and they also have that thing that allows them to narrow a focus down and, and find the right experiment and build that. And I have a pretty strong case of the first and almost none of the second. <laughs> you know, my dog is more logical than I am. <laughs> oh, I love it. You're one of me. You're one of my people. Uh, so, so, all right, so let's talk about the moment you start dabbling in fiction. So at some point you're doing all these things, which you know, yep. you're doing what right artists, a lot of artists do, which is just trying to figure out how to survive in this world where not really crying out for more artists a lot of the time, right? We kind of have to cheer. They're not. <laughs> no, not really. Actually, a slight diversion. One of the fastest growing careers right now is composer. Really? There's so many things need music. Yeah. We don't have enough composers. So there's that. Anyway. So talk to me about that moment. You're 30, whatever, and you start writing, or 29, or whatever you are. You start, how did that happen? Um, much more embarrassingly than that, which is to say I was more like 23, and I just started writing oh. out of nowhere. 
And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote six drafts of an unpublished and fortunately destroyed first novel. Oh, I sent things out. I got rejected endlessly. Um, yeah. I threw out a second novel, I, you yeah. know, and I was still, I'm so dogged. Uh, it's, it really is mortifying. I just kept sending things out, not understanding why I wasn't getting um, nice answers back. Right. And I just kept writing. So I didn't publish my first novel until I was, uh, I guess, coming up on 32, but I've been writing for eight or nine years okay. by then. Yeah. You know, that's a good long time. Yeah. Not the longest I've heard. Nope. <laughs> Not even close. Uh, nope. But, you know, and you're doing this other stuff. You're probably not feeling like you're not someone says because you're a woman. And so there is the cultural thing of like, just get married and have kids and don't think about your life in that way. But obviously this was not in your mind or maybe it was, but you were determined to say, what do I want to do with myself? Is that fair? Yeah, uh, I was married. I married young and, and uh, my husband was it was then a scientist and a very uh, good one. So oh, I had oh, scientists all around me. So oh, that's okay. how. You know, that's how I know all this stuff. I spent years uh, watching scientists, really good scientists at work and right. sitting on the fringes of meetings. But um, for them, and quite understandably, I was always just um, Barry's wife. I was a yeah. scientist's wife. I did a lot of secretarial work. I did what right. I needed to do to pay the bills. So it's actually quite a great thing for uh, a writer in training because I was in visible to everybody so you know i could really <laughs> eavesdrop and visualize things in wonderful ways because nobody ever noticed me in the room or thought i was paying attention so that turned out to be awesome for me but what, um, a, what a perfect description of a writer yeah. <laughs> sort of the writer's eye like you don't i was thinking about james joyce and being so frustrated where he thinks the author should never be present and all that and that's yeah. you're just there seeing everything but no one knows you're there yeah, Perfect. you know, you just make polite conversation and bring the chocolate chip cookies and it's groovy. <laughs> That's all people expect you to do. So that was a very lucky thing for me. So uh, if you were to, some poor young writer would come to your door knocking tears on their face and talking about rejection and disappointment and you having lived through it some, I don't know if you can, you probably can still remember it. You can oh, yeah. still remember. <laughs> oh yeah, doesn't go oh, away. Yeah. What would you say to them? How do you tell them how to get through that? What, what advice would you give to such a person? Um, you know, partly just stick to it. And that's the hardest thing. It's very hard emotionally to keep going in the face of that much rejection and that much time, especially if you have successful friends. Um, and I imagine it must be worse if you have successful writers, writer friends. Uh, again, I was quite <laughs> lucky in the sense that I didn't go to an MFA program and I right. didn't meet writers till later on in life. So I didn't have the constant example of people who are surging ahead of me, publishing and stuff. I, I, it just wasn't part of my world. I didn't have to right. know about that, but it's also really important to have friends, um, you know, and to have uh, people close to you that know what you do and support it, even though you're not making any money and you're spending too much time doing it. You know, what would I have done without all those people those years? Yeah. I just, I would have been too sad to keep going. So that's yeah. a really important thing. And I had writers groups when I was young that were really important to me. None of us were publishing. We were all, you know, grownups working hard, working at other jobs and sharing our work with each other and having that um, kind of constant feedback was wonderful. Yeah. It helped me enormously. Um, I, you know, I, I love this book. And one of the things I love about it, I mean, there's a lot of things that I like about it. I like your, well, I like your approach to storytelling, but I love that it's a collection of short stories that are 
connected and uh -huh. connected to other books, uh, I should point out. So this is somewhat unusual in the literary canon, I'd say. Uh, when did you discover you, you enjoyed that format, which I love. I love that format, the connected short story. So when did you discover you, A, you wanted reoccurring characters, so yeah. on throughout several books. Talk to me about that. Um, I, I didn't use a character over until I started uh, writing The Voyage of the Narwhal after I finished Ship Fever. And um, I had initially envisioned that as a companion novella to Ship Fever. And then it turned into a novel and Ship Fever turned out to be related to the story. So I finished the novel, but it was really the third in what's now a sequence of six books, Servants of the Map, when I started to realize, oh, this is a thing I can do. I can bring some of these characters back. I right. can start to think about weaving them together. And then I just got really obsessive about it after that. Um, now I can't stop. And it's uh, that's not a great thing entirely. No, it's it kind of reminds me of Faulkner a little bit, how he had his I can never pronounce Yankma Patankwa. Is that? I, I can't say it either. I can't. But... His, his county. And I love that. So it's sort of, you know, it reminds me just a little bit of actually is the way fantasy writers will deal with the worlds they create. Obviously, your world world is based on this one. Mm -hmm. And yet you've created your own world in a way. Yeah, you know, that's really interesting because I've not been a big fantasy or science fiction writer. And so it's only very recently I've realized that here I think I'm doing this unusual, cool thing, linking all these worlds. Right. And fantasy writers have been doing this for a wicked long time, and I just oh, yeah. didn't know it. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel silly about that. Oh, you used the word wicked, and you made me <laughs> sick. Yeah, that's a New England thing. <laughs> Only you and I know that word. That's right. So, yeah. all right. Well, so what, let me ask you this. So um, you finished Natural History, 10th book. You've got your feet under you a little bit. Uh, when you finished it, how did you feel about it? How did you personally feel about it in your in your honest heart when you said, yeah, it's done? What did you think? You know, I thought not only what it, was it done, but I had a sense that I'd finally come to an end of this project I've been oh. working on for nearly 30 years. It was like, wow. I wrote that last story and realized what Rose was doing there and realized her relationship to all the other characters. I thought, oh. That, I think that's the end of that set. I think I'm going someplace oh. different now. I have to really. Um, Did that scare was, you? Yeah. you worried? <laughs> uh, not worried, but I'm, I'm a little taken aback. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, I got to strike out for new territory. This is, yeah. that's done. Yeah. And there's always a stage in a writer's life. If, if you're as old as I am and you've been writing stuff, especially when you've been writing related stuff, you have to sort of look at yourself and say, at what point am I beginning to repeat myself? Not in a good That's way. Right. That's and I right. think I'm, you know, really close to that point. I felt like I'd gotten to the end and to do any more wouldn't be in, to enter into fresh territory in this series. It would be to be repeating myself. So yeah. I got to find a new way. Well, it's so true. Cause what happens is you, you, you start, and I write in a certain kind of certain kind of thing and about certain topics a lot. Huh. And I have done it so much, I can literally imitate what I sound like when I'm writing authentically, because I know the certain <sighs> pace. And I'm like that, I got to wow. go in like, I've never talked about this subject ever before. And it can get tricky because you get good at doing that, at doing yes. this, you know, and you like yeah. writing, right? We get good at performing ourselves or That's performing right. our style. And yeah. 
I mean, I'm glad I got better at it, but I don't yeah. want to just keep, re- I don't want to repeat myself. No. I don't want to perform myself. I want to be myself. And that means trying again, starting over again in some sense. I, you know, I love that, Andrea. And one of the things I, I think about when I think about writing is I have to sit down and be present with myself. In other words, I have to actually be honest. Like, what are you, what are you interested in right now for sure? Forget about what you were interested in yesterday. Yeah. Keep up with yourself, you know, keep yeah. up with where you actually are. Because sometimes your curiosity is wandered out from where you think your comfortable territory is. And I have to constantly remind myself, pay attention. Are you actually interested in this story you're telling? Or are you just doing it again? Yeah, you know, that really, that's the most profound thing anybody said to me in a long time. Oh, that good. really resonates with oh, me good. right now. Good. Um, yeah, that idea of you know, what generated ship fever in me after um, four kind of very average, very normal contemporary novels right. was sitting down and, you know, and they, they all were not good. And I knew that I was failing and, and oh, wow. trying to ask myself, what am I actually interested in? And when the answer turned out to be, you know, little stories about 18th and 19th century science, it was like, oh, fabulous. You know, everyone's going <laughs> to want That'll be a those. success. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, just trying to follow that path of what we're really engaged with. I think that's when we do good work. And, and for me, that opened up the whole world, but yeah. I haven't heard anybody articulate it the way oh, you just did in a long that... time. And, and I need to think about that too. I think that's really important. Well, I'm on a mission. This is not a joke. I am on a mission. I realize my life is about this. I want to live the way I write. I want to, huh. I want to be as authentic in my life as I feel when I sit there and clear my mind. And uh-huh. so I pay a lot of attention to what happens at the page. And uh-huh. it just, I just feel like I'm at my best there. And I feel like yeah. I've learned what a human is by writing, not about, but just what happens when something is invited in that I just allow to happen. Does that make sense? It does. And, and um, I am definitely my best self writing and my best self is in my book. Sometimes, yeah. you know, I'm sort of baffled. People want to talk to me off the page because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything interesting about me is is in the books. That's right. my best self, and that you know the rest of me is just kind of this gawky woman wandering around with uh, her dog. I'm not very interesting. Oh, uh, uh, it's not true. Look at you. You see is. how interesting you are. It's totally not true. But I get it because you, you know, know. It is, you, it's easier at the page because you're not distracted by people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can just focus a little bit. It's quite. It's yeah. like it's like the mat, the dojo mat. All right. So speaking of ship fever, that's one that won the National Book Award, right? Yeah. So. What was that like for you? Because that 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 particular award has a lot of you know resonance in the literary world. Did yeah. it just blow you? Did you could you make sense of it? No, it was uh, totally totally a fluke. It caught all of us by surprise. You know, little book of stories, dead yeah. scientist, um, <laughs> fifth book, but half the interviews I did around then, people said, "Oh my God, what's it feel like to win this for your first book?" It was like, oh. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I was extremely unknown. My books were selling, you know, 3000 copies or whatever it is. Right. If every library in America buys one and nobody yeah. else does, but your mother. Um, right. Right. So, and there was, um, it was not wholly pleasant because a lot of the press at the time um, was pretty negative. It, you know, it's like, why did this book get nominated? Who oh, is this woman? Nobody God. ever heard of it. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and also, uh, I 
was then wicked shy, <laughs> much worse than I am now. Oh. And all of a, and I'd never given readings or done anything. So all of a really? sudden there was like, you know, I had yeah. to go talk to people. Um, my poor publicist said Norton then, you know, they had to just, I, you know, they practically had to dress me and put tissues in my purse. I really did not know how to do anything. So I couldn't have been more awkward. Um, and then at the ceremony, it was bad enough being nominated, but um, truly nobody expected me to win and, and rightfully so. So it was in a big ballroom and they yeah. put our table all the way at the back up against oh. the back wall because. <laughs> right. 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 So you had so the then long... all of a sudden somebody win, says this name and there's this light. And it's like, are you kidding me? Wow. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was a good learning experience and it was a, you know, an amazing stroke of good fortune. People did read the book and that was wonderful. You know, why I like that story is you were, you were rewarded for being authentic. Now, they didn't know that's why they were rewarding you. But it was like, to me, it's like a message from whatever you want. Like, just be yourself. And yeah, that's a nice way to look at that. Something good will come. Because I'll tell you, I have tried being someone slightly different than ever so slightly different than myself. Yeah. And I'm pretty good at performing. And <laughs> it is just ends in pain and confusion and disappointment, you know, over and over again. There's your second super profound statement of the day. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, uh, no, that's that's really true. I I, I have tried that, too. And it's a source of great unhappiness to yeah. try that. Um, yeah. I mean, you're nice to say I was rewarded for being authentic, but actually all my fellow nominees had written unusual and authentic books. And sure. that was part of the reason people were like, who are these people? Yeah, but you know, this is, look at, I'm glad you won it. You're a very nice person and you deserve it, whatever that means, right? But this is my problem with awards in general. I kind of feel like they shouldn't even be in the arts. I think they're great. They help people's career and it's great, but it's like, come on, what? You can't rank or compare these things. Everybody wrote there. Everybody at that in that room probably had written the best book they could that year. You know, absolutely. And so it's, I'm very torn about the whole awards thing. No, me too. And and I speak as someone who benefited so enormously. I mean, yeah. I went from complete obscurity to not as obscurity, but right. it messes up um, your relationship with other writers and and yeah. the whole idea of an artistic community or companionability in the arts um, awards are very not good for that. So. Yeah, I, I love, there's a game I play, it's a role-playing game, it's very popular now, but the reason I loved it was it was a game without winners and losers. And I do think that one of the reasons I love the arts is at core, it's, a, it's an experience without winners or losers. And I That's don't right. yeah. think that there really should be winning losers. Okay, well, we're in agreement about that. Well, congratulations on the book. Thank it's another you. good one. And uh, I hope you don't have to give any other interviews. <laughs> just, <laughs> you can just sit in your house with your dog and your husband and enjoy yourself. I wish. But, I wish um, that for you. You know, if they were all this fun, I would have never mind doing it. Ah, so you're, you're really fun to talk to. Hey, that's high praise. Thank you. I'm going to give you the secret to giving to doing good interviews. Is what? As the interviewer, don't have any expectation and just try to have as much fun yourself as you can. To just good say, what? Just amuse yourself, and that usually leads to a good interview. What do you think of that? You know, it works for you, and maybe I should take that as an interviewee. Um, maybe it would make make this all more fun. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Take it over. All right. Listen, you're great. I'm so glad we got to talk. Great. But I'm not through with you yet. Okay. Not quite yet. By the way, if you want to, Andrew's got a great website. 
just Andrea, andreabarrett.com. Is that what it is? Uh, it's andrea-barrett.com. Somebody took the other one. So. God damn it. I know. All right. <laughs> andrea-barrett.com. But if you type in Andrea Barrett, you'll be type, taken right there. So go check it out. Order a books wherever. Maybe do you ever zoom into like rooms full of women with Chardonnay talking about your book? Do you do that sort of thing? Do you do book groups? You know, I, I haven't yet. I probably will. But the last time I published a book was so long ago, the whole Zoom thing wasn't a thing yet. Oh, People didn't know how to do that. So once right. in a while, I would go to a room, you know, in my body and right, sit with right. women. And <laughs> I could drink the Chardonnay too. So that was good. Well, anyway, and if you maybe through that, you can be contacted and they can book you for that. But anyway, I'm not done with you quite yet, Aaron. Yet here what I want, here's what I want you to do. I want okay. you to finish this sentence, writing, all the writing you've done in your life taught you anything it has taught you what to pay attention to everything around me all the other people the natural world all the birds and bugs and lichen and moss and everything else and to stop thinking about myself i like it i like it stop thinking about yourself isn't it true that when we write we kind of go away don't we we kind of disappear yeah you know ideally when you're really in the flow of writing it's an almost egoless thing that inner self that you're talking about takes over what we think of as the I in me just disappears. It's yep. gone. Yeah. Andrea, thank you so much. It's been a lot thank of fun. You. Yeah. Now, wasn't that great? Don't you like Andrea? Don't you? Don't you? I do. I do. I liked Andrea. And uh, I agree with what she said. You pay attention, pay, at pay attention to the world. And really, you know, I didn't get into this with her, but I think when you're paying attention to the world, you're paying attention to yourself. You're paying attention to what part of you is, what you're interested in. So pay attention. You matter. You do. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries, as always. Thank you, sir. Thank you, all of you out there for listening. In the meantime, hey, pay attention to what you like. Pay attention to what you love. When you find something you love to do, do it!